You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 144 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate, who I believe is very, very hot. Is that right? Well, I, I am very hot because, I, you know, as we discussed last week, it's pretty difficult to have a conversation with anyone in Australia at the moment yes. without discussing how hot it is. And to be perfectly honest with you, I am sitting here compulsively checking the Weather Zone app to find out what time the southerly will arrive. Oh, yes, absolutely. I just went out and bought um, some atomizers. Do you remember how, I don't know whether, I don't think they exist anymore, but back in the day, your mum used, yeah, used to have those Evian sprays that you could oh, spray yes. on your face. I yes. tried to find some this morning and the girl looked at me, the millennial looked at me as if I had three heads and I said, oh, that's okay, don't worry about the Evian spray. Um, have you got something similar? And she pointed me to something similar and it was, and I said, it's just water, you know, in a in an atomizer. And um, she pointed me to something and it was $24.99. What? <laughs> and I wasn't going to buy that for water. So I said, oh, have you just got, you know, little empty plastic things. I'll just put my own water in it. Uh, so we managed to find those. So now I can have pretend Avian spray. I remember those. We used to have them in the office, like when we worked yes. at Clio and stuff, because it was so, you know, dehydrating and the air conditioning. <laughs> we were all looking after our faces, not understanding how dehydrated we would be 20 years later in our home office. But that's yes. beside the point. That's right. But now hmm. I won't be dehydrated because I am going to have my own atomizer. Did you put a little dash of, you know, lavender oil in there just for additional spray fun? I have not, but because I only just bought it this morning, but I think I shall. Yes. Well, now that I've reminded you of that particular yes. little tip. Hmm. But if I put lavender in it, won't I smell like a old person? Yep. Okay. <laughs> but you'll be refre- you'll be refreshed okay, and you won't right. smell sweaty and okay, you'll yes. be relaxed. Isn't lavender meant to be relaxing yes, or something? It's true. Think okay. how relaxed you'll be. All right, wonderful. I will do that. All right. Anyway, apart from being hot, uh, we have no, um, really, we've got nothing to complain about compared to one of our wonderful, wonderful listeners who we want to give a shout out to because she's awesome. Now, some weeks ago, some episodes ago, we mentioned that Hannah uh, had contacted us to tell us about this great app. And it was the Goodreads app where you can like categorize your own library at home because she'd moved into her house and she was categorizing her library and she's all very excited. Now, Hannah lives in New Zealand, but unfortunately the earthquake that happened in New Zealand was virtually under her home. And so now her beautiful library is in boxes and pulled out of the house. So yeah. 
So Hannah, we just want to say to you, you know, we're thinking of you and we can't wait for your new library to return, well, for your library to return so that you can keep on categorising and so that you can sit there and enjoy it without, you know, having to worry about it or being earthquaked. I think we should send her some new books, though. Yes, yeah. Well, I don't think she'd have anywhere to put them at the moment. So maybe no. when the maybe she can let us know there. when her when she's got a shelf, and we could send yes. her a little care package. So let and, us know, Hannah. Yes, and Hannah has said, uh, "Herein lies a reason not to procrastinate over that which you most want to do in life. Write for today, because tomorrow may never come." Is what Hannah emailed us. So, goodness me, Hannah, we are thinking of you. Big shout out to Hannah. Yes, indeed. Yes. So let us move on to the world of writing and publishing this week, shall we? Yes, but before we do that, I, oh, yes. I forgot because I you do. Forgot. You know, okay, hope, yes. Hopeless I am. Um, I've got news. I've got news, news, news. <gasps> uh, we have a cover for oh. the Mapmaker 4, uh, so the fourth book in the Mapmaker Chronicle series, which is called Beyond the Edge of the Map, and there is a cover, and I have revealed the cover on my blog, which is at alisontate.com, uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes, and I would love it if you would pop over and have a look at it because it really is quite fabulous. Quite I love fabulous. it. I, have I know. It's I amazing. It's beautiful. I saw it, I think it was yesterday or the day before, yes. and I was like, oh, my God, that is the perfect cover. So everyone have a look at uh, – when's it out, Al? It comes out on the 28th of March. So if you want to go over and have a look at the cover, there's a little bit of uh, detail there. There's a blurb from the publisher, you know, a bit of, you know, stuff about what it's about, etc. cetera. Um, there's also a link to pre-order at Booktopia oh. in Australia if you would like to um, if you would like to pre-order the book, and I would love it if you pre-ordered the book because that helps me a great deal. And um, you, there's also links to the Mapmaker Chronicle series if you would like to have a look at the other three books. So, um, yeah. Well, like it's the fourth book in the series, fourth right? Book in the so series, yes. when you first – when you wrote the first three, the fourth wasn't really – you were focusing on the first three. The fourth wasn't really in your head at the time. So in case there's some new people to the Map Maker Chronicles, where does the fourth go? Like can you give us a bit of background so we have Well, it's an interesting thing because when I first had the series concept in my mind, uh, I had actually thought of it as being six books. Um, to oh. me, it, it was a logical progression. And then when I spoke to Ashet about, which, who is my publisher, about the, about the books, they said to me that, ideally um, we would do the first three as a trilogy and we would shorten the time frame. And I said, well, you can't get around the whole world in a sailing ship in a year. So we need to actually reassess how this works. So I had to reassess the story arc to create uh, the trilogy, uh, the time frame for the trilogy, which I did. Um, but there was always this idea in my head. I, I, I always had an idea of where the story might go if we needed to do more books. And so basically what's happened is that the uh, the fourth book starts around about six months after the end of the first trilogy and wow. Quinn has been at home uh, in the manor 
uh, his new home where he's been, you know, faithfully copying out his map, which is not quite how he imagined his life was going to turn out because that's the beautiful thing about the perfect memory and creating a world map um, is that you create this wonderful thing but then you have to recreate it for the copies. Of course, there's no photocopiers uh, in Jordania. So Quinn is basically acting like a photocopier creating these maps and um, as it transpires, it turns out that other people want the map in Quinn's head and they decide that the best way to get the map in Quinn's head is to get Quinn. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah, that's the, the kicking off point for the story. And then, you know, off we go from there on this, on another epic adventure that takes in, you know, different parts of the world and new and exciting monsters and all sorts of different stuff. It's very, very exciting. Very fun. Yeah. Very and what fun. age group is this? Well, it's written for the uh, middle grade uh, sort of area. So it's, uh, you know, probably ideal reader is 10 to 13. Um, But I also, I have a great fan club who is aged somewhere between 8 and 10 who write to me regularly. Um, But I also have, you know, I have adults who've read the books and loved them and are looking forward to the fourth instalment. So I don't, you know, I think it's like anything, I think, when I write middle grade, I don't necessarily write – I think the worst possible thing you can do when you write middle grade is to write down. I think if you think that you're writing for 10-year-olds when you write your story and you somehow, you know, simplify things or write down to that market they know right. and they yeah. they won't like it. So the voice is just mine. Yeah. The story is, you know, epically adventurous, which is what that age group really loves. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we sort of go from there. It's it's a it's an interesting process of deciding exactly where a story sits in the market. Yes. Hmm. Very exciting. And March is going to roll around very quickly. So I will be keen to be asking you quite a number of questions in the lead up to the launch because I think a lot of our listeners are going to be interested in, you know, some of your planning. And I don't mean planning and writing, obviously, because it's already been written, but yes. some of your planning in terms of the marketing and yeah. release of the book. So we will come to that. But in the meantime, uh, go check it out at alisontape.com on Alison's blog, the cover. So I wanted to talk about a particular link this week that I found on uh, the website called Mm nownovel.com and it's called What Will Help Me Write a Book? Seven Mm. Steps. Now, of course, it's a little bit what's the word, simplified or reductionist to say that you only need seven steps to write a book. But this actually, I feel these are good tips. Now, I'm only going to go through some of them. But first and foremost, I really like number two, which is what number one is choose what to write a book about shrewdly. But number two, learn how to write a novel outline. Now, I think that this is particularly useful, especially if you are just not sure where you're going. And I know that there are plotters and I know that there are pantsers and you might say that people, you might say, okay, I'm a pantser, so I don't want to write a novel outline. But if you're if you don't know where you're actually going, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're if you already on a roll and you have momentum, go for your life. But if you're not really sure where you're going, write the outline before you have a go at writing the outline because you never know what plot points can emerge just when you're forced to write it out. Like, you don't have to even follow it, you know. No. But I think it's a good exercise. Mm. Yes. And mm. also the other one that I think is important is um, get your – um, sorry, no, turn off perfectionist self-criticism. 
So mm. important. I mean, we are all so guilty of this because we think we're not good enough or we think, oh, no, we can't write it for any more until we fix that last chapter. No, 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 no. Except that the last chapter is not 100% and keep on writing because if you dwell too much refining around the edges, you'll never progress and finish the book, right? That's right. And I think, I, I can't remember who said it, but there was a, there's a great quote that says, the first draft is just you telling the story to yourself. Um, yes. So basically all the first draft is is you working out exactly what the story is going to be, what you char- how your characters are developing. You know, even if you sit down and write the most detailed character summaries and interviews and things before you start, your characters will drive the story and you will realise that some of the decisions that they need to make are not necessarily decisions that you've planned for and so therefore your story will, you know, take a tangent. Um, so I think it's really important to understand that y- you you just, all you're trying to do with that first draft is just work out the the story, where the story is going, how it's going to work, you will get to the end of it and realise that you probably have started the story in entirely the wrong place, which is what I do. You will realise that, you know, point A that you've written on page 38 makes absolutely no sense when it comes to point B down the track. But you might also find that point A that you wrote on page 38 suddenly becomes really important in a way that you'd never realised it was going to be, which is a couple of the things that happened to me when I was writing the trilogy, the first trilogy of the Mapmaker Chronicles. There were things that I had written just as kind of character details or, you know, a little bit of family history stuff that I'd put into book one that suddenly became really, really important in book three. And I hadn't realised as I was writing them they go into the subconscious and it all sort of starts to come together as you draw those strings together. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a really good overview, particularly if you are starting out and you've never tried writing a first draft before um, because, you know, everybody – I think the other important thing to remember is that these points are a good place to start, but you won't know how you write a book until you write a book and you will realise yeah. that everybody writes their books differently. Like, for example, I – never wrote a novel outline until I had to do a series outline for a publisher. That was the only time I ever did one. And I I have, I do understand now that I've written lots and lots of books. I do understand the value of the outline and I probably outline a lot more now than I ever used to do, but it's not my, it's not my starting point. It's not how I roll. If you know what I'm saying, I, I tend to, I tend to get a character in my head, I, I have a bit of a starting point. I know, but what I always do know, and this is an interesting thing, is how the story ends. I work yes. towards an end point all the time. Even if I don't always, it changes, and I don't always necessarily get there the way that I think I'm going to get there, but there is in always in my mind a vague idea of where it's all headed. And I think that's important because, as you say, knowing where you're going with something is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's move on to another link, which I think is really, really important, and I'm sure you would agree. Now, this is from a site, um, well, this is actually on Medium, you know, medium.com, the vlogging platform, and it's by someone called Linda Carroll, and the it's called Five Things I've Learned by Writing Every Day. Now, I just think that the concept of writing every day is such a good habit to get into if you want to build momentum. Mm. And some of the things that she has said is, you know, writer's block is just unfocused thinking, (laughs) Um, which 
kind of is, is true. Um, mm. Writing daily builds self-awareness. So I think that that is, you, you, you do, you become aware of so many more issues in your writing, but mm. potentially depending on what you're writing about, issues to do with your life. Um, editing is just the way we usually get to clarity. And I like what she says, easy reading is hard writing. Vomiting mm. up the first draft is easy. Editing is another thing. So, and that is so true as well because it, you, it's what we were saying before. You kind of need to vomit up that first draft and then once you have it all out there because, we, as we've heard, you can't edit a blank page, then go back to it, edit it, it, rewrite it if you need to, but at least it's out there and you've got something to work with, Yeah. That's right. And just on that, because we have had a few questions, I, I've had a few questions just on various, you know, social media platforms um, from people who are trying to edit their own work and finding it very, very difficult. Um, I think it's worth noting that the first time that you try to edit a novel manuscript, like a lot of words, a large body of work, it is really, really difficult. Um, I found it incredibly difficult. I remember the first time that I edited a novel that I was working on, I just I just couldn't get my head around the process at all. It just felt like every time I shifted something, the whole story shifted and I, I couldn't work out how to sort of keep track of all those words and what I was doing. What I will say, oh, it's, it is so hard. A structural edit the first time you try it is incredibly difficult, particularly when you're doing it yourself. Um, but I think what's worth noting, and this is something that I think that it, I, I hope will will bring some um, reassurance, it's it's like it is like writing. It's like any muscle. It gets easier the more that yeah. you do it. So I actually find the editing. I mean, I remember Kate Forsyth used to tell me years ago when I was sort of buried in words trying to edit things and not knowing what I was doing. She was like, "I love editing. It's my favorite bit." And I'm like, "You're oh. kidding, right?" Well, she still does. She still says that, and I laugh. But it's not my favorite bit. It will never be my favorite bit. But I find it so much easier to do it now that I have done yeah. it so many times. Um, so it is a it's a news it's a skill. I think that's probably what's worth taking on board. It's a yeah. skill. And it gets easier the more that you do it. You, you can start to see where the problems are. The other thing I would suggest that you do while you're editing your work is read other things. I, I read a, when I'm editing, I read a lot of things outside by genre. I read yeah. crime fiction. I read classics. I read all sorts of different things because the more that you do that, the more that your subconscious takes in structure and structure is so, it, it, understanding structure when you're editing your work is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. So important. And so important to keep that momentum going yeah. by some kind of daily or near daily writing practice. Mm. And we're getting such incredible feedback from the people who are doing your 30 day boot camp. So this mm. is in the um, how to make time to write course that Alison has created. And part of that course is this 30 day writing boot camp. So you can press the button whenever you want. So even if you start the course now and you think, okay, I'm not ready to do my boot camp till a month's time or whatever. You can press the button in a month's time and it will take you through 30 days and people are just saying they are writing more than they, you know, thought possible. Because one of the things that is, if you follow it, you are guaranteed to have uh, 10,000 words in 30 days. And, um, you know, we've got people saying I'm up to day 23 and I've already had 26,000 words and um, because it's that daily writing practice keeps that momentum going. So it does because I think it's a so point important. out. 
Sorry, I think the point out of this article, this link that's in the show notes at medium.com, the one that resonates the most with me is if I waited until I felt like it, I'd write less often. (laughs) And I think that that is so important because I just talk to so many people who just say to me, oh, you know, I I have to be in the mood, I need the perfect time, I need the perfect place. And it's just, again, it's like the editing muscle, the writing muscle gets stronger the more you use it and you need to just sit down and start. And it's amazing when you sit down and start, how quickly that momentum does build. Absolutely. And if you want to find out more about Alison's course, How to Make Time to Write, go to writerscentre.com.au slash time. That's writerscentre.com.au slash time. All right. Let's move on to our um, giveaway for this week. We actually have two Aussie rural fiction books. Because, you know, you love a good rural romance from time to time, don't you think? Absolutely. Well, and, you know, like it's we're in the Australia Day week, so I feel like that's yes. a very fitting giveaway. Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. And Australian rural fiction has taken the world by storm. It is so incredibly so popular. Yeah, it's so, so popular. So we have Sapphire Falls by Fleur MacDonald and Third Time Lucky by Carly Lane. Um, now, entries close Monday the 6th of February and if you want to win these books, then just go to writercentercomau slash win. That's writercentercomau slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular five-week online course in copywriting essentials will teach you how to turn your writing skills into a weapon of mass persuasion. Learn the seven steps to creating compelling copy, how to take a creative brief, the secrets of SEO and much more so you can begin earning good money immediately. Learn online from wherever you are and get your own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash essentials. All right, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? So ready, Val. So ready? Sitting alert, on the edge of my seat, totally ready. This comes courtesy of Dean. Now... Tell me whether you've heard of this word. Mm-hmm. Incunabulum. Incunabulum. No. <laughs> I can honestly say nope. That is I-N-C-U-N, Finelli, A-B-U-L-U-M, incunabulum. Mm. Well, when I first read it, when Dean first showed it to me, I thought, you know, it sounds like it's supposed to be some kind of cloud, you know, in the sky, how there's – Cumulonimbus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought because, immediately. Yes, yeah. which we all know because of the crowded house song. Um, but it actually refers to a really old book, particularly one that was printed, not handwritten, before 1501 in Europe. <laughs> okay. Specific, right? That's very, very specific. I don't think. Either of us will ever have the opportunity to yeah. use the word incunabulum, but it's kind of no. a cute, good, good yeah. word to know. Yeah. Very right. handy. 
Very handy. All right, you want me to move on? So tell me who the writer in residence is this week. Oh, this week we are talking to the delightful Oliver Pomavan, who is an Australian children's author, um, very funny author, one of my uh, son's favourite authors, as a matter of fact. Um, and we are discussing how to write funny books for kids. But one of the things that's really interesting about Oliver is uh, he is a sensational performer at an author talk. I have been to one of his author talks and my my boys went to one last year and then raved about it for days. He, he's also he's not only a writer, but he's also a primary school teacher and a stand-up comedian. So he brings all of those things together to create a fantastic author presentation. So we talked about writing funny. We talked about how, you know what it's like to be Oliver, and we talked about you know some of the secrets of his author presentation. So I hope you guys enjoy. Oliver Pomavan is a children's author, comedian, and primary school teacher. He is the author of six funny books for kids, including his latest work, The Other Christie, as well as appearing in many anthologies. Welcome to the program, Oliver. Good afternoon. How's it going? It's going very, very well so far. I think we're off to a great start. All right. Let us go back to the beginning. Let's talk about your first novel, uh, Tyrific, I believe. How did that come to be published? When and how did that come to be published? Well, um, I used to be um, a primary school teacher um, after having done a writing degree. And um, after one full year of teaching, I thought, you know what, I'm going to quit and I'm going to pursue writing. So, um, yeah, so I, I took that um, that risk. I decided to take a couple years off, um, do part-time teaching, part-time writing. And I kind of had a vague idea of um, terrific in terms of like writing short stories about um, myself as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it took me three years. Um, a lot of, I joined a writer's group. I, um, I got some really good feedback. I started to get involved um, with uh, the Children's Book Council of Australia and other um, sort of uh, groups where I could meet other uh, kids' authors mm-hmm. and kids' writers. I attended a whole lot of festivals. Um, and then I managed to bump into um, someone who um, is now my agent. And so, um, yeah, we just had a conversation. He, he liked what I was doing and I gave him my work. And then, um, yeah, Terrific sort of um, was born from there. So did you meet uh, so your agent? So who's your agent? Oh, yeah, my agent's um, uh, Brian Cook. Okay. And so did you meet Brian at a writer's festival? Is that where you bumped into each other? I did, yeah, yep. So I met him at the uh, at the festival for writing for kids and YA at mm-hmm. the uh, New South Wales Writers Centre, mm-hmm. and yeah, we just um, yeah, we just had a conversation, and I I, I told him about um the book that I was working on, Terrific, and he said, oh, I'll be interested in having a look at that, so I, I gave it to him. So, okay, so your background is obviously Thai, and and you've based the book is on your experiences of growing up here in Australia. Is that correct? Uh, that's right. Yeah. So okay. um, a lot of the stories there are sort of semi-autobiographical. So yeah. Um, yeah. And funny. And funny. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, um, you know, as a kid, you know, I've always been a bit of a class clown, um, pretty much always running around, um, very, very fidgety. Um, the only time I was really quiet was when I was reading books or when I was writing stories. So. Okay. So did you go to do your writing degree directly out of school? Did you leave high school and go into a degree at uni in writing? I did, yeah. So I I went into um, the university, oh, so Western City University. Um, so I did a, a Bachelor of Communication Writing. Um, and, you know, there were parts of that degree that I, I enjoyed, but mm-hmm. I guess that degree was, um, wasn't was really creative writing. It was more like creative and 
technical writing. So mm-hmm. there's all, a lot of other um, stuff like writing for manuals, writing documents, all that kind of stuff. So um, I decided to uh, – well, I realized that, um, you know, like there is no guarantee of success being a writer and all. So I did a backup. So I did decided to do um, a master of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I chose primary school because um, – you know, I'm a still big kid myself, so I thought, you know, I don't want to get bashed by high school kids. So <laughs> I went into primary school teaching, and um, you know, funny enough, I just I just loved it. I fell into it, and then, you know, because during my uni days, I was running for adults, and you know, that was okay, but it wasn't really going anywhere. And then I thought, you know what, I should have a go running for kids, and so right. that's where the idea of becoming a, a kids author sort of came came up. All right, so so you were, said you went into teaching for a year, and then you decided that you were going to pursue writing. And just mm. judging by what you said, you really were quite um, sort of not clinical about it. But you really like you when you say pursue it, you joined a writers group, you went to the festivals. Like you, you've obviously gone out and tried to soak up as much of the industry knowledge as you could. Is that what you? Is that probably? Would you sum it up like that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know that that would be a tip that I would give to, to anyone who wants to sort of. Um, get in, get into um, you know the, the the writing industry. Like the fact that um, you know, first of all, like student authors are, are so they're, they're so we're very nice, close knit community. Mm. Like we're, we're we're pretty nice, we're pretty supportive. And even even back then, you know, I, I had um, starting out, I had authors like you know like Kate Forsythe, uh, Belinda Morell, uh, Deborah Bella, just mm. um, you know treating me like I was well, I was already uh, an author in that sense of giving me advice, um, being supportive, and and yeah, it was it was really good to to, to see. So it is a great. They, I can vouch for that too. It's a great group of people, and I like the fact, as you say, that um, it's such a welcoming group. Like you kind of turn up feeling like a total imposter, and everyone just goes, "Oh, I loved your book. I read your book. It was great." You know, and you suddenly you just feel like you're one of the gang, which I think. Is, and I think sometimes people think that writers are kind of, you know, very scary and that writers' festivals will be a really scary thing. But in actual fact, they're fantastic. And Valerie and I often say, you know, go to writers' festivals and not just to talk to the authors that are there but also just the people that are around you who are also mm. writing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, I, I had some – I've, I've actually um, – I still keep in touch with um, a lot of friends who actually met at writers' festivals. So I, I, was, I was that guy – um, you know, going to festivals and sitting in the front row with like a giant notepad, just taking down notes, um, you know, <laughs> so I, I'm putting pressure on, on the author on stage and, you know, I'll, I'll be chatting to people as we're waiting in line to get a book signed or, yep. um, yeah, just, um, seeing where they're coming from. Cause I, I love, I love talking to people who are into writing just like me. And so that sort of, um, gives me a chance to, to not only hear what they're doing, but also gain some tips as well, because nothing's nothing's ever wasted out there. Like you know, any little bit of advice I, I would take and absorb in my head. Yeah. So when you were writing for adults when you were at uni, were you writing comedy then? Was that were you writing funny? Like um, I guess my question is, have you always written funny stories? Because your um, your books for kids are very funny, and uh, both of my boys love them, and are always telling me about the funny bits in your books. Which of course, it's highly <laughs> oh, entertaining secondhand. Um, but are you so? Have you always written funny stuff, or like, or was your stuff for adults quite different? Uh, no, it's it's always been funny stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I when I started writing for adults, I was actually that that went hand in hand with um, my um, my start into doing stand up comedy. So um, ah. yeah, I you know. A love of Jerry Seinfeld in high school sort of prepared me to do stand-up comedy. Um, but in all honesty, though, like um, I wanted to be a writer first and foremost. So mm-hmm. I only did stand-up comedy to test out my writing because when you're on stage, 
you find out very fast if a line is funny or not. <laughs> so, um, it was, the, it's the best kind of feedback that you could ever do. And that's also another piece of advice as well. You know, just, um, go to an open mic night. It doesn't have to be comedy per se, but one of those, you know, poetry slash performance nights and, you know, just lay it out there. So you see what the feedback's like, because, um, you know, I, I, I love stand-up comedy and, so my, my writing was, was essentially like a, a reflection of the stuff that I do on stage. Okay. So that's kind of a baptism. I mean, that, that's a pretty brave – let's just go back a step here because, you know, you say go and read it out loud at an open mic night. That is a really brave thing to do. Like you getting up there and testing your stories and your lines on an audience that is potentially going to just sit there and look at you like, seriously, mate, you think this is amusing? Um, that's a pretty brave thing to do. How do you get up enough courage to do that? Um, you know, I guess um, being a, a, a geek in high school, I was already used to re- being rejected uh, by, <laughs> by girls and, and the cool kids and all that kind of stuff. So um, I built up a resilience to that. Uh, but but essentially, I've, you know, being that class clown, wanting that spotlight. Um, and I guess with, when it comes to comedy, there's always a risk that it's going to fall flat. And, mm. you know, I've, I've had nights where I've, I've got no response, just silence. And, and those nights kind of, kind of eat you up. But, you know, days after you, you pick yourself up and you, you, you go up again, because I think that's, that, that's, that's the beauty of, of comedy. If, um, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld has this great quote, you know, if, if you, if, um, if you find they're not laughing, just, you know, just smile and move on to, to the next joke and, and try to get them at the next bit. So, right. Because I guess being a writer is also a risk. You know, you put it out there and, you know, you're waiting for the comments, the rejection, the, the whatever, aren't you? Like if it falls flat like a stone, you're like, oh, okay. And I guess it's that thing. I remember reading somewhere that, you know, writing com- like writing funny books is like, you know, you waiting two years to find out if the punchline was funny. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, you write it and you like put it out there and you were still – and then you've got to wait to see if anyone actually thinks it's amusing. Is that difficult or not? Um, you know, like, I guess, um, one of the things I did was I just read a whole lot of kids books. Like I, I've, I've probably read in, in my first year of starting writing, I read, I read about maybe 350 books. Wow. I just went to the library and I just smashed anything and everything that was a, a kid's book, especially, um, strain books and mm. especially, um, funny books. Mm. And so, um, you know, I, I, look, writing for writing funny books is, is, is quite hard, but then, there's so many like stunning examples of, of, of really does work. And mm. I find that like, because you, you can hide your funny things through descriptions and through, through intention and, and for myself, um, especially dialogues, I, I love writing funny dialogues. So, mm. um, yeah, it, I sort of learn a couple of skills through reading, um, those books and realizing that it, it, it can be done. So, okay. So if I was going to say to you, okay, Oliver, what is the secret of writing funny stories for children? You would say, because you know, what I find funny and what you find funny and what my 10 year old finds funny are quite different things. And in what my 10 year old finds funny, it just honestly astounds me at times. But anyway, um, so, you know, like you're writing for a specific market. How do you know that what you're writing is funny for them? Um, I guess like I'm pretty lucky in that like um, as, as a kid author, I, I get to visit a lot of schools, I do a lot of talks and workshops. And so I kind of get a gauge at what um, what they find funny. Um, mm. I also have some nephews as well that are roughly around the same age of, of um, upper primary. So mm. that helps me as well. Mm. Um, but I guess when it comes down to it, I think it's just um, just the opposite of normal, I guess. Like saying something that's going to surprise them or shock them. Um, you know, comedy, there's always going to be a four guy, like someone, someone has to get hurt. And mm. so, um, 
you know, I try to build up an environment where um, things can be made fun of. I guess with, with terrific, um, you know, I was making fun of Asians. I was making fun of like um, all those kind of stereotypes. And, mm. you know, I must admit, I, I could say things that other people, if other people said that it would be called racist or whatever, mm. but because I, I could say it, I, I can get away with it. So I suppose, um, yeah, I think that the, the, one of the things that you need to do, I suppose, is, is just to be authentic to, to yourself, I think. Like, mm. um, there's no point trying to chase trends or trying to see what the kids are into. I think if you can find what you find funny and, and just sort of put that into your characters, I think that that would be a good start. So. Mm. so making fun of yourself is a good place to start because that's essentially what you do, isn't it, with a lot of your stuff? Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, like you, you've got to fend someone. So why not start with yourself, I find. So, yeah. <laughs> um, now you've made, uh, it has to be said, you have made a real brand out of being a nerd. Um, and mm. I know that you're, the two readers that you have in my house respond to that. Is that a, do you think that your readers respond to that? Like in the sense that, um, and also I'd just like to say, I'd like to thank you for your Instagram feed because my oldest son now is his life ambition is to eat as many burgers as you do oh, because nice. you seem to have a new one every day. <laughs> so his life's ambition is to eat as many burgers as Oliver Pomeroy. Anyway, um, so how do you, um, you know, do you is that is that a is that just you being you, or is that like a conscious thing, or what what um, what do you do with that? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like you know, I've I've always been a nerd, and mm. it's it's funny now in in this day and age, being a nerd is. Um, it's it, it's it's kind of okay now. Like um, you know, you got things like the Big Bang Theory, all those Marvel films. Um, you know, once upon a time, if people if you wore like a, a SpongeBob shirt or a shirt with a superhero on it, you know, you you get laughed at. But now every second shirt you see out there is a Star Wars shirt or mm. or something a little bit nerdy. And so I guess all, all the things that nerds used to like are now becoming more mainstream, which is really cool. Mm. Um, but you know, I. I I don't know. I, I always find that I've, I've still got a heart of like a, a 15 year old gawkish, nerdish kid still. So, um, and, and that hasn't changed. I hadn't really grown up in that sense. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's just, just being myself. And, you know, even though nerds could be cool now, like I always find a way to, to really make nerds uncool by just saying some really awkward things or just, um, mm. yeah, doing, doing some really, um, weird things like, um, collecting a whole lot of plushies. Um, oh, the plushies. You know, yeah, like I could write like essays on like why I love um like Nintendo so much and and you know I guess with with my burger thing like you know even as a kid like um you know being force fed well not force fed like you know being being fed Thai food all the time <laughs> kind of made me crave things like McDonald's and KFC and yeah, so yeah. even to this day like I I still get so much joy out of um eating burgers because um. You know, it, it's. I think it's it's that it's that childhood thing. I think like you know, sort of revisiting, revisiting your your childhood pleasures again. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk about your writing process. Do you mm. write every day, or do you only like? How does that work? Do you would you only write when you feel like it, or are you writing every day? Um. Yeah, I I, I try to write every day. So mm-hmm. on a day like today, when I when I'm at home, I try to. Um, do six hours of writing, um, six hours. which, wow. which sounds impressive, but yeah. essentially when you break that down, maybe I might get maybe three or four hours of writing. Maybe mm. I guess, um, I, I don't know, like I'm not one of those authors that, that waits for inspiration. I find that like, um, you know, th- there are some days when, you know, the words are flowing and, um, you know, running up the storm and, and pages and pages are being written. There are other days where the lure of, of Facebook or reading up about like, you know, games and stuff 
takes over or funny enough like you know the inspiration to to wash the dishes or, or clean the bathroom comes <laughs> comes to hand um so you have those days too and but the main thing is that i'm, I'm in front of, of of the keyboard i'm in front of the screen and so whether it's like you know 20 pages or two paragraphs i'm, I'm still there writing so mm. yeah so i think for me like just getting into that zone and just um just riding that wave. It's almost like surfing, I guess. Some days you, some days you'll you'll be surfing up and down. And other days will be calm waters, but you just have to paddle through. Mm, okay. And do you plan your stories out before you begin? Like, do you have an idea of what's going to happen, or how do you? How does that work? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Like, um, it depends on the book. So uh, for terrific, it, w- it was all kind of just um, let loose. I just kept writing stuff, and and uh, for me. The, um, the the main part of the process would be the, the second draft or the editing of that where I start to trim down. So okay. I just basically just um, blab it all out and then I start mixing that around in the second or third edit. Um, okay. Other books like like Conrad um, or the other Christie, I kind of like just, just map it out so I have a, an idea of where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, even though I'm trying to uh, – even though I'm following that plan, when I'm writing it, I'm like, oh, you know, I think this is a bad idea. So – um, yeah, it, it kind of depends on the story, I think. Okay. And are you still working as a teacher? Did you say you're still working part-time as a teacher? Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think like I haven't taught for um, – well, last year was the first year where I didn't teach at all mm-hmm. as, a, as a primary school teacher because um, in the past, um, you know, early term one and late, late term four would be the time when I would do um, a bit of teaching, like mm-hmm. uh, casually because yeah. – um, the school visits would dry up, but yeah. these days now I've, I've I've managed to um have enough school visits that that will keep me going. So um yeah, well, that was, um, I was going to ask you about teaching. that because you do you travel like I see you on you know across your social media feeds. I see you a lot. You travel a lot and you do a lot of author talks and things like that. Um, how many author talks do you think you would have done last year? Um, I'm not sure how many visits, but I I spend about like maybe seven seven or eight months uh, visiting schools. Wow. That's a yes. lot, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, it's a lot of travel. Um, so I, I basically over the years spend like a whole week, so a whole month in Melbourne or, you know, a whole month in Brisbane, you know, driving to all these um, places and things like that. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a lot of visits. Um, it, it, it can weigh you down, especially in, uh, in term three, after book week and book month mm. and all that mm. stuff. But, um, but at the same time, you know, I, I never take it for granted. I, I guess, um, it's like kind of like riding the waves again, you know, like, um, while I'm, I'm still releasing all these books, I might as well take advantage of it and, and just yeah. keep doing. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's amazing. And, um, I, you have made a real art of the author appearance. I mean, obviously with your stand up comedy background and your primary school background and all of that sort of stuff. And, and you mentioned the plushies earlier mm. and of course the plushies yeah. feature, well, they featured in the talk that I saw, and my boys talk about them still. Um, yeah. Do you remember your first author appearance? Do you remember the first I, one you ever did? Yeah, I did. I it was it was very um, it, was, it was very awkward. It was it was me being um, the awkward nerdish kind of guy again. And like, yeah, it was um, it was bef- it was before my my book came out. I went to um, like one of those school holiday um, reading programs at the library and. Yeah just a lot of blank stares, you know, pe- people don't know me kind of thing. And yeah. I'm kind of there trying to validate my existence and saying <laughs> that this, there is a book. It, it is coming. It is funny. You should read it. But, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. Like, um, you know, I, I know that I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not famous. I'm not kind of like big in that sense. So I always go into schools or I always go into places, um, thinking that nobody knows me and mm. I've got to win them over. So, mm. 
Um, by that, uh, I, t- I try to like, you know, get them hyped up about the book. And I don't know, like I've, I always find myself being like Jerry Seinfeld in that sense of like a lot of my talks are really about nothing per se. Like, you know, um, sometimes they're about the book, but other times I'm just trying to make them laugh for, yeah. for whatever reason. And if they like my talk and they're like, laughing at my jokes, then maybe they'll pick up my book. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's yeah. not so much a hard sell as look how funny I am. You're going to love my book. Yeah. I think it's just trying to sort of capture them with, with my voice. And if, if they, if they're into it, then perhaps they'll, they'll pick up my books, which uh, most of the time it works. Other times, you know, like it, it might not work, but you know, it's, it's like doing a stand up gig, you know, I, um, sometimes you'll get kids all, all hyped up and, and, and really impressed. Other times you'll get a very kind of like response, but mm. that's okay. So, yeah. And have you found it's, you know, that your style and your talks have developed a lot over the, you know, cause obviously like if you're traveling seven or eight months last year, you've done a lot of talks. Um, mm. How have you found that that's, you know, impacted on what it is that you do when you are confronted with a group of, you know, 60 kids? Yeah. I, um, I guess I've, I've gotten to a stage now where like, um, I've got like three or four talks in my head mm-hmm. and then I kind of tinker with it depending on the audience and depending on, um, um, if they read my books or not. So mm-hmm. essentially I've got like a core talk with, with, with jokes that I always use. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of like, um, try some new ones or try to do things that, um, I haven't done before to sort of put in between to sort of see how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I guess it's, um, for, for me, like, I would go crazy. And a lot of authors can probably relate to it too in terms of like if you do three, four talks every day for like five or six weeks, you, you pretty much almost become like a robot in that sense. So I try to spice things up by doing other things, by by using things around me. I was going to a room or a school and I try to take out random things like a hula hoop or mm-hmm. um, some weird statue or whatever to try to like do a bit of improv on, on that. So, mm-hmm. Do you so find that you forget – do you forget, particularly if you're doing a few back to back in 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 one session? Do you find that you forget what whether you said that in the last talk or you've said it in this talk and where you're up to? Like, do you ever sort of lose place of where you where you are with your talk? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're doing the when you're set to do the same talk or the same workshop, like you know, yeah, you know, yeah. three or four times in a row. So there, there are times when I'm like, have I said that to you? Yeah. Or, and <laughs> You know, my, my, my worst fear is when I, I go back to a school that I've been before and the librarian says, oh, you know, these kids loved you last time you were there. And you're like, oh, man, they've already seen me. So I've got to, like, come oh, up with some you've new stuff. you've got to change it up, yeah. I've got to change it up. And so those are the times where I'm really tested. But yeah. um, it's kind of funny. Like, um, uh, even though the, the kids have seen me, they one, one kid said to me, it's kind of like watching a, an episode um, of, of adventure time, which you've already seen before, but you, you still laugh anyway, because you, you, you know, it's the dog's going to come up or, you know, this is going to happen. So you still enjoy it. So that's a great, um, that's a very nice, insightful comment from that child. Yeah. 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 So I, I with, with that in mind, like I always go into a talk thinking that, okay, it's, it's kind of doing stand-up comedy as well, like hoping that at least half the audience or some people haven't watched me. Mm. So I, I try to sort of still pitch it at, at them. Mm. Um, but if, if I know that I'm going, I've been to that school before, I, I make note of that. And then I try to sort of chop and change things up. So, yeah. So what tips would you give like a new children's author who's about to undertake their first appearance? Like what, what advice would you have for them as an old stager at this now, Oliver? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like even, even before I, I started like 
um, writing. I, you know, like I said before, I went to all these festivals. You know, I, I saw Andy Griffiths mm. at, at a festival up in the Blue Mountains, and he was just like, wow, he, he, he pretty much is a stand-up comedian. He is a stand-up comedian, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so he was like my – well, he's still my idol now, but he was mm. kind of like my, my template of what I wanted to do. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just learned. Like, you know, it, it took me a couple of years to sort of like get into that – um, that mode of, of, of holding a show, mm. I guess, um, you know, it, it will take some time, like, you know, it, um, and also being, being authentic as well, mm. I find, because if you're trying to be someone, if you're trying to be cool, um, and, 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 and cause you know, kids, like they, they can see right through that and, mm. and not like adults, they, they don't hold back, you know, they, no. they kind of will, they kind of will tell you, uh, rather to your face or with their friends or, you know, sometimes just, just, um, uh, not verbally, like, you know, they're just like, what are you doing, man? You're, you're trying too hard, like, you know, you're not going to try and impress me. So I, I always find that if, if you be yourself and you can amuse yourself first, first and foremost, mm-hmm. that way, um, you know, you feel more comfortable um, up, up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, um, I guess trying to find your knack, you know, like, um, be don't be afraid to try a whole different variety of things. Like, you know, try the slideshow, try props, um, try bringing things from, from your childhood or, or from that inspired you for the book. And I guess, you know, the, the more, you, the more you do it, the, the, the more at ease you'll feel about it. And then, um, yeah, things will sort of slide into place. I think what I've had to learn is to ignore the one kid. There's always the one kid who sits there with the blank face and the arms folded oh, yeah. the whole way through. And yeah. I think what I had to do when I first started out was learn to ignore the kid that does that because you're never going to impress that kid. And what I found really interesting about that kid is that that's often the kid that comes up to you at the end and says, can you sign my bookmark? And you go, really? You've just sat there with a blank face the whole way. <laughs> I know how you feel. Okay. <laughs> you know, I um, you know, I, I do talks up into up into year nine and year 10, even oh. though my, my favorite talks are, are basically primary school up to year seven, maybe year eight. And, yeah. and year nine, especially like year nine, year 10, like they are some of my worst or best talks. And, yeah. and I don't know if it's going to be a good talk or a bad talk until 10 minutes into the talk. And I'm like, okay, all right, this is going to be a hard slog or, yeah. you know, they're, they're going to be with me. And it's, it's so true. They've got their arms folded. They're looking at you with this, okay. like, you know, try to impress me kind of thing. I had and then um, like, yeah. And then like at the very end, they'd be like, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that was good. And then I just walk off. I'm like, okay, that's good. (laughs) I remember Um, we interviewed Tristan Banks uh, earlier in the podcast series and he was telling us about one of the most memorable talks he's ever done, which was um, a class of year nine boys, boys only, on a Friday afternoon last period. And like when he said that to me, I was just like, oh, you are the bravest man in the world because I just think that would be awful. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? Sometimes, like, you just have to throw yourself into the scenarios and yeah. just keep. I've got to keep telling myself that even if they're not, even if they're not laughing, because I, I guess I take it personally when people don't laugh at my jokes, because I try my, I try and make my talk funny. And so, if if they're not laughing, then I kind of like, kind of panicking on the inside. But you know, at the end of the day, if they if they're sitting in their seats and and they're looking at you, and I don't know, like, you, you have to keep reminding yourself that hopefully some of it will seep through for those kids who are interested in, yeah. um, you know, sometimes you just can't control it. Like, um, I've, I've had my fair share of, of disasters with the kids who allow the kids who fake laugh. Mm. Those are the worst. The mm. kids go ah, ha, 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 at like mm. the most inappropriate times. And, you know, you just have to sort of like cop on the chin and, and move on to the next talk or the next school and go, okay, I'll, I'll try to get them on the next bit. Cause I think, um, just like stand up comedy. 
Yeah, it is. That's right. Because if you, if you carry those feelings of like um, of being disheartened or being discouraged or even being angry over to the next school, you're kind of punishing them for no reason because it's it's a it's a new school. It's, it's a fresh start. Yeah. Kind of like just you know imagine that yesterday didn't happen and just you know yeah. go on. Yeah. Okay. So given that most of your your readership is mostly middle grade, do you do much in the way of sort of social media like that platform building kind of stuff? at all? I know you do Instagram because I do see you there, but like, where do you focus your efforts in that area? Yeah. So I guess, um, it's, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, even though kids are not meant to be on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram per se, like it's our primary school kids, like they're, they're still on there. So, uh, you know, you, that, that can't be helped. So I guess it's, it's kind of a, a funny kind of, um, scenario because I, you know, I know a lot of YA authors really excel with social media because they can mm. actually, you know, really stay in touch with the, um, the, the readership, mm. which is really cool. So I'm in that funny position where like a lot of my uh, followers um, are kind of like teacher librarians or teachers or um, or adults mostly mm. with, with a couple of kids sprinkled in. And so I usually try to um, have my Facebook fan page as my kind of like um, kind of like um, a, a quasi website, I suppose, like putting things that I've, I've done. Um, and then I use Twitter for more of the like the um, – writing professionally kind of stuff. So like anything to do with, with writing or, or being an author, I tr- try to put on, on, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Instagram is just mostly just um, the other side of me, kind of like um, in terms of like writing stuff, burgers, uh, Nintendo <laughs> stuff, plushies, yeah. um, stuff where you jog. And so that's kind of like a, another aspect of my um, of my personality. We will, of course, with the uh, occasional shameless plug in between as well, but, but mostly <laughs> it's, just, it's just there for fun. So, yeah. Fair enough. So, okay, so what, what's next? What are you working on at the moment? The other Christie came out last year and was, was very well received as far as I can see. So what, what happens now? Yeah, so um, I'm actually editing um, Super Condored, which is uh, mm. the sequel to Condored, which came out like um, about six years ago. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's going to come out in June. And I'm, I'm really like hyped um, to, to bring it out because, um, you know, like Condored has, has resonated with, with so many um, of my of my fans and they keep asking me, like the kids keep asking me, oh, is there going to be a sequel to Condor? And I kept saying no. And originally I, I didn't think there would be a sequel, but then, you know, this, this idea just sort of came in my head last year and it just kept growing and growing. And so I just kept listening to, to Connor and he came back and, yeah, I, I wrote the sequel. So, yeah. Fantastic. And cool. that comes out when? Uh, it, it comes out in June, so. Oh, terrific. All right, we'll be looking yeah. forward to that. All right, so um, let's finish up today with our last question. We ask everyone our famous top three tips for aspiring writers. What have you got for us, Oliver? Um, you know, like, of course, you know, you ha- you, um, you've got to read books. Mm. Like, you know, just just uh, uh, keep, keep on reading. Um, num- number two is to carry um, a notebook because I find I always, I always tell people like, like, living living life is kind of like half of your writing inspiration in that sense of like, you know, anything you see or do, um, anything you, you hear or, or, or kind of have a talk to, to someone is, can be used for an idea. So I always carry a notebook with me for, for jokes and also some ideas. So if I see something funny or if I hear, um, something funny on the radio or if I read a, an amusing newspaper article, I just jot it down and, mm-hmm. and they could be used for ideas. Um, and my third tip is to play, Lots of video games, like um, <laughs> even if you're not into video games, even though you're 65 or plus or whatever, like just buy a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox or Nintendo and just play games. And by that I mean like, okay, maybe not play games, but like um, just just play. Like, you know, I find that um, 
when when I'm playing, like when I'm being um, just um, chilling or, or relaxing, that's when some of my ideas come as well. So okay. when I'm switched off, when I'm just relaxing or um, doing something fun, I find that sometimes ideas can just come to me in, in that sense as well. So, um, you know, I guess in other words, don't try to take it too seriously. Like, you know, like especially with, with kids writing, you know, mm-hmm. like um, kids are not reading all the time. Like, I mean, some of them do, but a lot of the time they're reading, but they're also playing, also mucking around. And so, you know, the best way to get into kids writing is to sort of try to get into that aspect as well. Like, you know, do a bit of writing, you know, be serious for some of the time, but other times just, you know, play, have fun. Just because mm-hmm. um, I, I find that if you're not, if you're not having fun, um, then there's probably a, a great chance that the kids are not going to have fun with the book as well. So mm-hmm. there needs to be a sense of playfulness um, with, with your writing, um, no matter what genre you're, 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 you're writing. Fantastic. All right. Well, that's that's one of the most interesting and unusual tips we've ever had is playing yeah. video games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Oliver. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the with the sequel to Con Nerd, and I'm hoping the other Christy will – um, will also go gangbusters for you. So, um, yeah, and good luck with the 7,000 author appearances that you do this year. Thank you very much. And, um, and you look, know, thanks, thanks for, um, for inviting me over. And I feel like a burger now. So, um, I'm <laughs> off. So, yeah. I'll look for it on Instagram. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye. Okay. See ya. Wow, Oliver's presentations sound like a lot of fun. How cool. Oh, they are. They're, they're loads and loads of fun and he's he really throws himself into it. Like I was uh, at a, a recent author day, which was at, at DAPTO that we both attended mm-hmm. and both presented at and I was watching his presentation and, you know, he ends up on the floor, he's rolling around the room, he's doing all the stuff. So, yeah, very, very entertaining and his books are equally entertaining. Great to have the skills of a stand-up comedian. I wish I was funny. Oh, me too. I I keep threatening my boys that I'm going to take up stand-up comedy, you know, just because I I want them to, you know, I want to experience the full joy of the horror on their faces. And you should see them. They're just like, what? You're going to do what? (laughs) Oh, dear. All right. Let us move on to uh, our platform building tip for this week. Now, I think this is an important one because some people say to me, you know, do I really need to have a newsletter or why do I need to get people's email addresses? And Mm. what do you have to say to that, Al? Um, I guess all I have to say to it is that I I understand that particularly when you're starting out, it feels like, you know, like such an imposition and you feel like, what am I going to say and how can I possibly do this and all of those things. And it's just another thing that's got to be done every, you know, I I would say month for most authors at the, well, at the most. Um, I would say this, uh, that social media is a lot of fun and there are lots of great places to talk to people and you can watch your numbers grow and it's a fantastic thing. But, you know, as we've seen with MySpace and various other things over the years, remember MySpace? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They can just disappear. I looked up my MySpace account like last week because I thought, is it still there? Yeah. Really? Okay. So, no, no, most people aren't even bothering to check to see if it's still there but um they can disappear and so you know if you spend and as I said it's a great way to network and you you should definitely spend some time on the social media platforms but the one thing that you actually own is your email list and it is the one thing that that absolutely guarantees that you can reach people when you want to reach people because you 
they are inviting you into their inbox. So I would say that if you're not capturing those email addresses, then you're missing a great opportunity um, and, you know, for, for your own real estate. You want to basically, we've talked about websites being your own real estate. Yes. Um, an email list is also your own real estate. And I, I think it's really important to cultivate your own block, so to speak. You know, it's really nice yeah. to go visit other pe- other people and chat to other people at other people's houses. But what you want to do is you want to bring them home and you are, want to be able to contact them directly. So just, you know, think about an author newsletter and, you um, it doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be anything except a regular contact. Or even if you yes. only want to send it out when a book comes out, but you yeah. want to know that you're sending it out to people who are interested in receiving your message. So even if like, cause I know a lot of people go, well, what would I say? And stuff like that. I mean, to give you an example, say of a very successful author, and that is um, Tim Ferriss, who's been a New York times bestselling author for, at least four of his books. I think he's only has four books. Um, and uh, he just sends out this thing every Friday uh, called Five Bullet Friday. And it's just five interesting things or five things that have captured his interest that week. And he does not write an essay about them. He writes two lines, seriously, just mm-hmm. two lines on each thing. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm reading at the moment or this mm-hmm. is what I've this, – this new thing that I've tried and he'll put a link to it or whatever. So yeah. as long as it's interesting to you, chances are it's going to – some of it is going to be interesting to part of your readership because it's interesting to you. So, right. you know, your newsletter doesn't have to be war and peace. It can no. be as, as straightforward as that. So, of course, this and other fantastic platform building tips are in Alison's course, How to Build Your Author Platform, which uh, if you want to find out more, then check it out at writercenter.com.au slash platform. Now, we're almost at the end of our episode this week. Al, what are you, you doing until we chat again? Uh, well, we're in the last week of the school holidays, so that's pretty exciting. So I'm just kind of weathering that and looking forward to being able to really probably get stuck into my year uh, yes. next week. Um, that's kind of when it all really kicks off for me. I've got a lot to do this year. So I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm enjoying the last few days of the holidays before, you know, the boys head back to school and, and just fitting the stuff in where I can, which is what we do, Val. So when you are in school holidays, especially extended ones like the summer holidays, and there's sort of, um, you know, stuff that you need to get to but you can't for obvious reasons, does that frustrate you or does it, does it, is it like a thing over your head or do you actually let it go and go, I just, I'm just, I'm not going to do it? Well, I, I try, look, it's it's about sort of planning in advance. I try not to take things on that I, I, I'm not going to be able to manage in the holidays. I did have a bit of difficulty um, over the Christmas New Year period because I uh, a proofread that I wasn't expecting until early, like earlier or sort of mid-January oh. lobbed on my lap and it was due back sort of just after the first week of Jan, which is the most, it could not have come at a worse time, frankly. Yeah. It's the worst possible time. Um, so I found that difficult because I, I knew it was there and I had to put the time aside to get it done. And But, you know, you just, you do what you have to do. I mean, it's, uh, you, I'm a professional author. My proofread was due back by a certain date. So I've, you know, made the time yeah. in the wee small hours of the night to actually, you know, get that done, which is what you do. Um, so the copy edit for the first book in my new series arrived uh, last week, so it's actually not due back until the sixth 
of February. So right. my plan, yeah, my plan with that one is I've, I've read through all the notes. I'm doing all the thinking while the boys are still here. And yeah. then my plan is to really knuckle down and just get that done next week so that it will be back in time. Are you afraid deadline. that you'll forget what you've been thinking? No. No. no, because the, it's there were just there were sort of like there's lots of little bits and pieces which I will just do as I go through. But the two key points that were brought up by the copy editor are things that I that I can fix in my head relatively easily. Um, it was kind of like a right. rename and uh, you know just a, a little a couple of little changes that I needed to make. So I've thought those through. I've got solutions for those. I will make those changes once I sit down. Yeah. Yeah. All right, wonderful. Well, we are at the end of this week's episode. So where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at my website, alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. I had to think about that. <laughs> and then you'll find me. That's my life. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. Fantastic. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo. That's K-H-O-O. I am at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Feel free to connect with me on Facebook. Just search for Valerie Koo. And, uh, yeah, if you want to look at the show notes of anything that we've discussed, then just go to soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Thanks so much for listening and we'll chat to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.